you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I asked you to tell me your life story, to, to trace kind of the highs of your life. I expect most of you would talk about things like your birth, the first day of school, your first significant other, your first apartment, a proposal, graduating from college, having kids, getting recognized for some achievement. We uh, celebrate through milestones. We do discipleship through milestones. We look at baptism and first blessing of the backpacks, uh, giving of the Bibles, graduation, confirmation. We celebrate the highs of life. The older I've gotten, the more I've also begun to look at how we tell our life story through the lows of life. And so many of those lows uh, are through death and loss. In my life, the first death I was ever aware of was my Uncle Bunky, Bunky the jukebox man. He uh, sold pinball machines and jukeboxes in eastern North Carolina uh, and at 68 died of a heart attack in the field. Uh, I remember vividly as a young kid, I'm, I'm sobbing and my mother says, don't worry, he, he, he didn't hurt. If, if he had been in the hospital, he'd have died immediately. I remember this attempt to comfort me even as a little kid. But I knew that it was sad and that everybody was crying. The next major death that I was aware of was my Aunt Debbie. She was the oldest of the 13 siblings on my mother's side, uh, and this doesn't even count the 11 siblings on my grandfather's side. Uh, when Aunt Debbie died, I remember my Aunt Tammy sobbing uncontrollably. I remember her talking about how much Aunt Debbie loved her whenever she messed up, and weeping and wailing. And I also remember for the first time the awareness of how broken our world was because my father and my sister and I were tasked with staying at Aunt Debbie's house during the funeral. Apparently there's uh, some folks who will look at obituaries and find the house that they're going to rob uh, because they know folks won't be home. Even though I wasn't fully aware of everything that was going on, I knew that this wasn't right and that everybody was sad. The first death that I really understood as a, a, a more developed brain person uh, was a neighbor of mine, Dana Hatcher. She had been uh, out riding her horse. She went back in the barn and was uh, cleaning it like you do a horse. Uh, she had done, uh, I guess, was tending to its hooves, and it kicked her in the chest. And she began to kind of struggle to breathe, and her mother said, you go, go rest, and I'll finish getting the horse put up. And she died sitting in the car as her mother finished tending to the horse. This was when I was in youth group, and uh, we knew her, and we were friends, and we were aware of the realities that someone our age should not be dying. I remember the pain on her mother Donna's face, her brother David, and the sorrow around that. 
at, at the end of my senior year, we were uh, kind of heading into that summer before college, that time when you're in transition. I was uh, preparing to head on a mission trip, and I remember one morning my mother woke me up and said, Chad, there's something I need to tell you. Wake up. Chad, Will has died. Will was my next-door neighbor and my best friend from second grade. He moved in, and we became inseparable. If you remember my stories of me getting in trouble, <laughs> they're with Will. Will had finally gotten his life kind of turned around, and he was uh, kind of getting straight, and then uh, had been out uh, in a car that night in the passenger seat, not wearing a seatbelt, and a 15-year-old girl had taken her parents' car, had crossed over the center lane, and ran into them, and he died instantaneously. I remember that Will was buried in the cemetery right behind our little league field. The field where we uh, had such great highs and such great lows, where we uh, chewed the, uh, the nasty grape double bubble. One moment, this field of uh, childhood delight, and right next to it, the loss of my best friend. Later on that year, I go off to college, I uh, drop out, I come home, I begin working, and then one morning on the way to work, uh, NPR breaks in and announces that something is happening, that a plane has hit uh, one of the World Trade Center towers in New York. By the time I get to the office, we hear that another tower has been hit, that something is happening in Washington. It's the first time I realized death beyond the individual. I, I didn't know anyone who had died in the planes or in the towers. I didn't know any first responders. But yet the weight of 9-11 was just crushing. It was one of those, you just literally just put your clothes on and you go to work when you have to. But otherwise, I just sat glued to the television, aware of how much it hurt after I began seminary, uh, my mother's parents uh, died one after another. These were the grandparents I visited for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. These are the ones who bought us the, uh, the little uh, clothes from Belks that you always took your pictures in when you were growing up. These are the ones who bought the bunnies at Easter and the little ducks and all those things that we now know you're not supposed to do. But these were the grandparents in my life, and uh, for all their flaws, uh, I adored them. And I was aware that a generation was passing away. That really the orders of humanity were changing. Uh, literally the last week of seminary, uh, I get uh, a number of calls at three in the morning. And once I wake up and, and answer and call back, I learned that my mother had died of a ruptured aortic aneurysm. I thought I knew death and pain and grief and sorrow. This was orders of magnitude beyond that. A few years down the road, uh, some friends of, I, of mine and I got a grant to study grief and lamentation. So for two years, pretty much all of our study was around this sense of what do we do with loss? How do we individually grieve death and then how do we corporately lament together? 
And then COVID comes. Where literally every headline, every decision we make as pastors, every day is a confrontation with death. There are accompanying highs for every one of those moments in my life. But those highs lose their meaning and are not nearly as significant without those moments of low, those moments of loss. Scripture has the same journey. It is full of highs and it's full of great pictures, but it's also full of lows. For the story of creation, there's also the story of the fall. Death enters the scene and the serpent says, surely you won't die. And though God is gracious and does not smite them in the moment, they lose access to the tree of life. And death is now a reality. Sin escalates from eating the forbidden fruit to brotherly murder. For the redemption of the Noah story, we see the death of most of humanity. For all the celebrating of the righteousness of the patriarchs and matriarchs, we we see a careful attention to how they rest with their fathers and mothers. Land purchased in the midst of strangers so that death might be done right. We have Joshua and Judges that just confront us over and over again with the realities of death in conjunction with sin. We have the murder of Uriah and the death of David's son. We have entire generations passing away in exile. As Jesus comes on the scene, we have the slaughter of the innocents, and we have Pharisees and Sadducees wrestling with what happens after death. Jesus doesn't ascend to a golden throne room. Instead, he goes to a cross and is and is lynched in the most gruesome of ways. Paul and the apostles try to tell us about what the significance of, of death is for us and for our souls. John the Revelator points to when finally death will be no more, that will take on our resurrection bodies and things will be good. Things were supposed to always be good. Things were always supposed to look like the garden and then like new creation, but they didn't. And we wrestle today with what do we do with death? What happens between now and new creation? The, the Catholic Church teaches about purgatory and the purgation of sins from those who've gone on. We talk about the intermediate state where we rest in the arms of Christ until we take on our resurrection bodies. It's not about heaven and hell, but how things are restored. How life is brought out of death and wholeness comes about. It's why as a pastor, I prefer funerals to weddings. Uh, Weddings can be beautiful and they can be uh, a sacred moment, but funerals are holy times. Uh, A few years ago, we did a liturgy that shaped, and uh, some of our pastors talked about the most formative liturgy being the baptismal covenant or the communion liturgy or new membership. For me, the, the liturgy that most shaped 
was our liturgy of death and resurrection. Just a few of the words from that service. Dying, Christ destroyed our death. Rising, Christ restored our life. Christ will come again in glory as in baptism. So the saint put on Christ. So in Christ may the saint be clothed with glory. Here and now, dear friends, we are God's children. What we shall be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you shall live also. We would say, friends, we have gathered here to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of the saint. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. May God grant us grace that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. We would go and, and turn to those classic texts of death and resurrection, the the stories from Isaiah and Revelation, the the hope of the peace that only Christ can give. And and then we'll come to the time of commendation and we'll pray a prayer that says, oh God, all that you have given us is yours. At first you gave the saint to us, now we give the saint back to you. Receive the saint to the arms of your mercy. Raise the saint up with all your people. Receive us also. And raise us into a new life. Help us to so love and serve you in this world that we may enter into your joy in the world to come. And then you'd be sent out. Now may the God of peace, who brought back the, from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, the blood, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good. So that you may do his will, working out, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. The great theologians argue that uh, our funeral service, our service of death and resurrection, is the final act of our baptism. That in baptism we die to sin and death, and in our funeral we die to be raised again. This All Saints, we celebrate those who have gone before, whether it's this year or 2,000 years ago, those saints who have joined the church triumphant. Those saints that we, the church corporate, look to both with hope and admiration. Those saints whose lives we look to emulate. Those saints who model what it means to be God's people. A number of us have started a study recently of 1 Peter with Dr. Ruth Ann Reese. And early in the text, uh, Peter writes to the church and says, Be holy as I am holy. 
or as God is holy. Peter's not saying as he's holy. Be holy as God is holy. And I think Dr. Reese does a beautiful uh, job of explaining that Peter doesn't lay out what the behavior looks like. Instead, he invites us to consider the character of our Lord. That we can't imitate Jesus' roles or his responsibilities. We can't uh, take on the same relationships, but we can look to his character. Paul in Ephesians says, Be therefore imitators of God as beloved children. He's not asking us to sit on the judgment seat of the world. He's not asking us to uh, go and make stone tablets. He's not asking us to do the things. He's asking us to be the people who are transformed in our hearts. And then we look to Jesus. We look to his example. Uh, for all their triteness, the what would Jesus do bracelets ask us to consider his actions and how he, how he demonstrated the behaviors of one who is fully human. We can also look to his teachings. What does he mean for us to be like him? We can look to Luke 4 where he talks about uh, that his understanding of his mission is to proclaim release of captives, recovering a sight of the blind, to set at liberty of those who are oppressed, and to announce the time the kingdom of heaven was at hand. We can look at our text from two weeks ago and see what it means to actually render our whole selves to God, to give the world what is the world's. We can look at last week's text and, and examine what it means to be a people who fully love God and fully love our neighbors, to be a people of sola sanctus caritas, of only holy love. And we can look to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the people who grieve because they will be made glad. Blessed are the people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Blessed are the people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Blessed are people who have pure hearts, because they will see God. Blessed are the people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Blessed are the people whose lives are harassed, because they are righteous. Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things against you because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven in the same way people harass the prophets who came before you. Think about the saints who have come before the saints that you most desire to actually model your life after, the saints that are revered in your mind or in the mind of the church. They are fully formed humans, right? Flawed humans who made plenty of mistakes, but yet who at their core, we can look and see these things that Jesus said we're blessed by. You can look at the apostles and see that they didn't always get it right, but they sought after God's heart. Augustine, the great doctor of the church, had plenty of his own issues, but he sought to be made holy. Martin Luther is not without flaws. John Wesley had plenty of his own issues. Your grandmother or your grandfather, that tender aunt or that neighbor who modeled faith for you 
that person who used to sit near you in these chairs, fully human, even at times got things very wrong, but who sought after God's heart, who sought to live a life worthy of the one who gave himself for us. If you know me, you, you might, well, I don't know how many of you know this, I kind of kept it close to the chest. My favorite book of all time outside of the Bible, because you have to say the Bible, right? My favorite book of all time is Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. I do not like science fiction, but I love this book. I'm not going to spoil it for you because I have, I have tended to spoil things in this place. But I'll tell you that there's lots of death that is confronted in here. But the next book, the main character becomes the speaker for the dead. After facing all the death from the first book, he takes on a new mission. No longer a warrior, now one who travels planet to planet to speak for the dead. The idea in, in this work is that uh, he can go and speak the truth of the one who has passed away, the one who has died. None of these uh, superficial eulogies or homilies that make that person out to be more than they were or less than they were but instead speak the truth of their life. It's actually shaped my pastoral theology of funeral sermons that uh, I don't ever want to preach a funeral sermon that you leave and go, that man did not know them at all. Instead, I want to speak the truth and the gospel, the hope that we have to name that which is good and then to name what we long for. It's what I think about in my life when I die and someone speaks my death. Can they name honestly that I sought after God's heart and desired to be made holy, that I yearned to be set free from sin, that, that I actually lived a life of holy love? As your pastor, it is my hope for you that when we come to your funeral, that we can speak truthfully these words, well done, good and faithful servant. We can name the ways in which you embodied the Beatitudes, the great commandment, the great commission, the way you imitated God. Twenty twenty has confronted us with death over and over and over again. But we understand death a little differently. Because for we know that when there is death, there is resurrection. That ultimately God will unite the saints triumphant with the saints militant, and that we will all take on our resurrection bodies. That there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. There will be no more death. There will be no more tears. And we will dwell in the presence of God. Until then, be an imitator of God as beloved children. Look to the saints who have come before and hope. Hope. Would you pray with me?
Holy, holy, holy God. Death surrounds us. And yet there is no place too far for your spirit to draw near. To comfort us. And to pour out grace upon us. Lord, turn our eyes to the saints who have come before and to the saints in our midst. Shape and form us as a holy people, a people who take seriously what it means to imitate you, who embody holy love, and who in the midst of, in the midst of all that is going on, offer the world hope. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our resurrected Savior, and to the power of that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit who will raise us in resurrection bodies. Amen and amen.